the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. You betcha. Here we are. Thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight for The Bible Live. I hope you're eager. Alert, we are reading through the books of First and Second Samuel. We'll be finishing the book of Second Samuel. Tonight's reading and then the next reading will end the book of Second Samuel. They cover essentially the time of transition from the judges, from Samson, the twelfth of the twelve judges, right on into the book of Samuel. They may have known one another, actually, Samuel and Samson. But Samuel then, this young boy who was born to Elkanah and Hannah, became an assistant to Eli the priest at a very young age. He grew to become a, a national leader, transitioning from the time of the judges to the time of the monarchy, the time of the kings. We have been focusing a little bit this time through, although there's never really anything to actually focus on. You listen to the scriptures and you take out your own conclusions and your own applications. But I've been looking a little bit at Samuel from this point of view of national leadership. What is appropriate? What is right? What is good leadership? We have some excellent examples in Eli himself, in Samuel himself, and then later in Saul. And now we're just finishing up the reign of King David, the second king of Israel, and it has been a tremendous roller coaster ride, ups and downs, backs and forth. Very relevant to us right now as we struggle in our nation and in these times with the theme of leadership. We have some wonderful lessons coming to us out of the Bible. 
right now we're going to continue our way through the book of Second Samuel. Tonight we'll be picking up in chapter 18. I'll tell you a little bit about where we are. But right now we need to go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 65, talking about the abundance of God's provision for our lives, how that we can be so thankful to God for all of his many blessings. Arrogance and pride God resists, but an attitude of humility and gratitude God always blesses, right? Let's be thankful tonight on The Bible Life. Psalm 65. What mighty praise, O God, belongs to you in Zion. We will fulfill our vows to you, for you answer our prayers, and to you all people will come. Though our hearts are filled with sins, you forgive them all. What joy for those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts. What joys await us inside your holy temple. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. You take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The rivers of God will not run dry. They provide a bountiful harvest of grain, for you have ordered it so. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. You soften the earth with showers and bless its abundant crops. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The wilderness becomes a lush pasture, and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. End of reading, Psalm 65. Sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody, stand up and sing one more. Hallelujah, sing your praise to the Lord. Well, for all of you who are concerned about the environment or the ecology of the world, this tonight's Reading from Psalm 65 would turn out to be a great blessing. A little bit of an encouragement for you, right? Tonight we're going to continue our way through the book of Second Samuel. We'll pick up in chapter 18. David has just survived a very serious attempt on his life and on his throne by his own son, Absalom. Part of the consequences of his sin of adultery and then murder was that he would experience great distress and violence in his family. Absalom, his third son, has already killed Amnon, the firstborn of David. So Absalom now, this third son, leads a rebellion. He publicly has relations with David's wives and concubines in front of the people, just as Nathan had predicted. Then he has been killed in the battle. Joab, our old friend Joab, who is pretty quick to kill. He killed Abner, Saul's commanding general. He will kill Amasa now during tonight's reading, the general from the troops of Absalom. David gives him a place of responsibility to try to bring in the people from the rebellious side. Then Joab kills him as well. Now, as we open tonight's reading, David is sitting at the gate of Jerusalem waiting for the messenger to come to tell him how the battle went. He's eager to know what happened to his son Absalom. And, of course, he won't receive the news very well that his son has been killed. A young man named Ahimaaz is the one 
trying to get to David with the news here on The Bible Life. 2 Samuel 18.24-21.22 through 2 Samuel 18 While David was sitting at the city gate, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. He shouted the news down to David, and the king replied, If he is alone, he has news. As the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward them. He shouted down, Here comes another one. The king replied, He also will have news. The first man runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, the watchman said. He is a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well! He bowed low with his face to the ground and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against you. What about young Absalom, the king demanded. Is he all right? Ahimaaz replied, When Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. Wait here, the king told him. So Ahimaaz stepped aside. Then the man from Cush arrived and said, I have good news for my lord the king. Today the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom, the king demanded. Is he all right? And the Cushite replied, May all of your enemies, both now and in the future, be as that young man is. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to his room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I could have died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Second Samuel 19 Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As the troops heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the city as though they were ashamed and had been beaten in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on weeping, Oh, my son, Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son! Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, and your wives and concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed as though we had done something wrong. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that we mean nothing to you. If Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate the troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than you have ever been. So the king went out and sat at the city gate, and as the news spread throughout the city that he was there, everyone went to him. Meanwhile, the Israelites who supported Absalom had fled to their homes. And throughout the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on. The people were saying, The king saved us from our enemies, the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. Let's ask David to come back and be our king again. Then King David sent Zadok and Abiathar the priest to say to the leaders of Judah, Why are you the last ones to reinstate the king? For I have heard that all Israel is ready, and only you are holding out. Yet you are my relatives, my own tribe, my own flesh and blood. Why are you the last ones to welcome me back? And David told them to tell Amasa, Since you are my nephew, may God strike me dead if I do not appoint you as commander of my army in place of Joab. Then Amasa convinced all the leaders of Judah, and they responded unanimously. They sent word to the king, Return to us and bring back all those who are with you. So the king started back to Jerusalem. And when he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and escort him across the river. 
Then Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim and Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the servant of Saul, and Ziba's fifteen sons and twenty servants. They rushed down to the Jordan to arrive ahead of the king. They all crossed the ford and worked hard ferrying the king's household across the river, helping them in every way they could. As the king was about to cross the river, Shimei fell down before him. My lord the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing I did when you left Jerusalem. I know how much I sinned. That is why I have come here today, the very first person in all Israel to greet you. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said, Shimei should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. What am I going to do with you sons of Zeruiah? David exclaimed. This is not a day for execution, but for celebration. I am once again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shimei, David vowed, Your life will be spared. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, arrived from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not washed his feet or clothes, nor trimmed his beard since the day the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? the king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, My lord, the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, Saddle my donkey so that I can go with the king, for as you know, I am crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that you are like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord. But instead, you have honored me among those who eat at your own table. So how can I complain? All right, David replied. My decision is that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. Give him all of it, Mephibosheth said. I am content just to have you back again, my lord. Barzillai of Gilead now arrived from Rogelim to conduct the king across the Jordan. He was very old, about eighty, and very wealthy. He was the one who had provided food for the king during his stay in Mahanaim. Come across with me and live in Jerusalem, the king said to Barzillai. I will take care of you there. No, he replied, I am far too old for that. I am eighty years old today, and I can no longer enjoy anything. Food and wine are no longer tasty, and I cannot hear the musicians as they play. I would only be a burden to my lord the king. Just to go across the river with you is all the honor I need. Then let me return again to die in my own town, where my father and mother are buried. But here is my son, Kim Ham. Let him go with you and receive whatever good things you want to give him. Good, the king agreed. Kim Ham will go with me, and I will do for him whatever I would have done for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan with the king. After David had blessed and embraced him, Barzillai returned to his own home. The king then went on to Gilgal, taking Kimham with him. All the army of Judah and half the army of Israel escorted him across the river. But the men of Israel complained to the king that the men of Judah had gotten to do most of the work in helping him cross the Jordan. Why not, the men of Judah replied, the king is one of our own tribe. Why should this make you angry? We have charged him nothing, and he hasn't fed us or even given us gifts. But there are ten tribes in Israel, the others replied. So we have ten times as much right to the king as you do. Why did you treat us with such contempt? Remember, we were the first to speak of bringing him back to be our king again. The argument continued back and forth, and the men of Judah were very harsh in their replies. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 20 then a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bikri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, blew a trumpet and shouted, We have nothing to do with David. 
We want no part of this son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel, let's all go home. So the men of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba. But the men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. When the king arrived at his palace in Jerusalem, he instructed that the ten concubines he had left to keep house should be placed in seclusion. Their needs were to be cared for, he said, but he would no longer sleep with them. So each of them lived like a widow until she died. Then the king instructed Amasa to mobilize the army of Judah within three days and to report back at that time. So Amasa went out to notify the troops, but it took him longer than the three days he had been given. Then David said to Abishai, That troublemaker Sheba is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Quick, take my troops and chase after him before he gets into a fortified city where we can't reach him. So Abishai and Joab set out after Sheba with an elite guard from Joab's army and the king's own bodyguard. As they arrived at the great stone in Gibeon, Amasa met them coming from the opposite direction. Joab was wearing his uniform with a dagger strapped to his belt. As he stepped forward to greet Amasa, he secretly slipped the dagger from its sheath. How are you, my cousin, Joab said, and took him by the beard with his right hand as though to kiss him. Amasa didn't notice the dagger in his left hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach with it so that his insides gushed out onto the ground. Joab did not need to strike again, and Amasa soon died. Joab and his brother Abishai left him lying there and continued after Sheba. One of Joab's young officers shouted to Amasa's troops, If you are for Joab and David, come and follow Joab. But Amasa lay in his blood in the middle of the road, and Joab's officer saw that a crowd was gathering around to stare at him. So he pulled him off the road into a field and threw a cloak over him. With Amasa's body out of the way, everyone went on with Joab to capture Sheba. Meanwhile, Sheba had traveled across Israel to mobilize his own clan of Bikri at the city of abel beth When Joab's forces arrived, they attacked abel beth and built a ramp against the city wall and began battering it down. But a wise woman in the city called out to Joab, Listen to me, Joab. Come over here so I can talk to you. As he approached, the woman asked, Are you Joab? I am, he replied. So she said, Listen carefully to your servant. I'm listening, he said. Then she continued, There used to be a saying, If you want to settle an argument, ask advice at the city of Abel. I am one who is peace-loving and faithful in Israel, but you are destroying a loyal city. Why do you want to destroy what belongs to the Lord? And Joab replied, Believe me, I don't want to destroy your city. All I want is a man named Sheba, son of Bikri from the hill country of Ephraim, who has revolted against King David. If you hand him over to me, we will leave the city in peace. All right, the woman replied, we will throw his head over the wall to you. Then the woman went to the people with her wise advice, and they cut off Sheba's head and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet and called his troops back from the attack, and they all returned to their homes. Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Joab once again became the commander of David's army. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was commander of the king's bodyguard. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Shiva was the court secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. Ira the Jairite was David's personal priest. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 21 There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. And the Lord said, The famine has come because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. So King David summoned the Gibeonites. 
They were not part of Israel, but were all that was left of the nation of the Amorites. Israel had sworn not to kill them, but Saul in his zeal had tried to wipe them out. David asked them, What can I do for you to make amends? Tell me so that the Lord will bless his people again. Well, money won't do it, the Gibeonites replied, and we don't want to see the Israelites executed in revenge. What can I do then, David asked? Just tell me, and I will do it for you. Then they replied, It was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons or grandsons be handed over to us, and we will execute them before the Lord at Gibeon, on the mountain of the Lord. All right, the king said, I will do it. David spared Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson, because of the oath David and Jonathan had sworn before the Lord. But he gave them Saul's two sons, Armoni and Mephibosheth, whose mother was Rizpah, daughter of Ayah. He also gave them the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, the wife of Adriel, son of Barzillai, from Aholah. The men of Gibeon executed them on the mountain before the Lord. So all seven of them died together at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the mother of two of the men, spread sackcloth on a rock and stayed there the entire harvest season. She prevented vultures from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. When David learned what Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabesh-Gilead and asked for the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. When Saul and Jonathan had died in battle with the Philistines, it was the people of Jabesh-Gilead who had retrieved their bodies from the public square of the Philistine city of Bethshan. So David brought the bones of Saul and Jonathan, as well as the bones of the men the Gibeonites had executed. He buried them all in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the town of Zelah in the land of Benjamin. After that, God ended the famine in the land of Israel. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him, but Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to his rescue and killed the Philistine. After that, David's men declared, You are not going out to battle again. Why should we risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sibekai from Hushah killed Saf, another descendant of the giants. In still another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, a descendant of the giants, defied and taunted Israel. But he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shemaiah. These four Philistines were descended from the giants of Gath, but they were killed by David and his warriors. End of reading, 2 Samuel 18:24 through 21:22. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. So I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth. So You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. All 
right, we are back. Before we get caught up in all the details of this one kills that one and this battle and that battle and Joab and Abishai and all these different personalities, it's always good to remind ourselves that what God is doing in the midst of every part of the story, he is constantly calling men and women to himself, calling out his people. I will be their God. They will be my people. So God is calling out men and women to trust in him, to follow him. And that's happening individually all through the people of Israel here, those of Judah, those of the other tribes. God is calling men and women to himself. On another level, though, God is dealing with this particular people group, doing an important work in and through them. Their original purpose as the tribes of Israel was to be united in their devotion to the true and living God and united in living for him, living in such a way that they would be a witness to the other nations and city-states around them at that time. They have lost sense of that. David still retains it. David is one who retained that desire, that loyalty, and that passion to know, serve, and be a witness for the true and living God. He seems to retain that throughout his whole life. Not that he lived perfectly, but that he did retain at least that vision and that passion. The tribes are all caught up in internal politics and competitions, resentments, and conspiracies one against the other. They've lost sight of their purpose, and when they lose sight of their true calling, then they fall into bickering and to attacking one another. And that's what we see them doing all too often. After the battle with Absalom, after the rebellion is quashed, David then returns. Now, I opened up the program saying that David was at the city gates. You may have presumed, and I may have been thinking that was Jerusalem, but he was not in Jerusalem. He had already fled During the rebellion, he and his bodyguard and a good portion of his army left Jerusalem so that the city would not be destroyed by the battle. They crossed over the River Jordan and went up about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea in the south. There was the city of Mahanaim, and that's where they were. David had retreated to that spot, and thanks to a strategy, they caused Absalom's forces to be delayed. Absalom, there was advice to him to follow quickly after David and take him while they could. And that strategy probably would have defeated David. He was vulnerable. But because they successfully confused Absalom, there were other counselors who gave different counsel. Absalom delayed, and that gave David and his troops time to organize and get themselves ready for battle. And then, of course, Absalom was defeated. Well, then after that, we opened up tonight, David receives news of Absalom's death. Then he shows mercy to Shimei, this fellow who cursed him on his flight out of Jerusalem. He shows mercy to Mephibosheth, Saul's son that had been living with him. He's kind to an old man, Barzi. In other words, David kind of cleans house on all these different relationships. You know, at the end of our reading tonight, it talks about Saul's act of vengeance against the Gibeonites, and the Bible doesn't record what that was. It was apparently a serious crime, making him guilty of their blood. But still, we may ask the question, why were Saul's sons killed for the murders that their father committed? In many Near Eastern cultures, including Israel's, an entire family was held guilty for the crime of the father because the family was considered an indissoluble unit the father as head of that unit. So Saul broke the vow that the Israelites made to the Gibeonites. Way back in Joshua chapter 9, there was a deception by the Gibeonites, but they won a promise of safety from the people of Israel. And when Saul broke that vow, it was a serious offense. And David is making that right. All of the chapters from chapter 21 on now to the end of the book are kind of an appendix to 
through the book of Samuel. We'll the see Bible you next Live time. with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.